if you've watched the news this week or you're watching Monday Night Football last uh, Monday night, uh, DeMar Hamlin, when he went down, made a tackle. Uh, Buffalo Bill, uh, football player, made a tackle. His heart stopped, went into cardiac arrest. And to, to watch them do CPR on him on the field real time was just, just scary, to say the least. Um, but there was power in the moment. And the image, and I wish I had a slide of it, I wish I had the picture of it. The image that I see is as the ambulance is taking DeMar off the field, as they got his heart back going, as the ambulance is leaving, the players from both sides, all the player personnel, the coaches, circled up on their knees praying. And it was just powerful, powerful. Yes, yes. Um, and then if you've been following the news, um, that happened Monday night on Thursday. On the third day, and there's some iron, ir- irony there, on the third day, uh, DeMar uh, woke up, came back to life, if you will. And his first question to the nurse, he had a hand scribble it because he had a breathing tube down. He had a hand scribble it. Uh, did we win the game? Did we win the game? And the, and the nurse, and I'm sure she had a mask on, but I'm sure she had a smile uh, underneath that mask. She said, um, DeMar, you won. You won the game of life. And uh, just the power of watching a community, a football community, but then beyond pray. And uh, we got to watch, I didn't see it live, but I got to watch one of the ESPN announcers pray. I mean, we talked a lot about prayer that night, but to watch that ESPN announcer pray uh, with two co-anchors, bow his head and pray on live TV, it was just powerful. And I just want to, as we enter into this service, I want to lift up the power of prayer. And I just want to ask you guys, if we could just bow our heads and pray into this part of the worship service. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, Lord, what, what many of us witnessed, Damar Hamlin um, dying and then coming back to life, Lord, that is, that is what we celebrate as the gospel. And Lord, I know there are folks here today that are in the valley. I mean, they are here struggling. They are, their hearts may not have stopped, but Lord, their hearts are hurting. And Lord, I pray just your special presence be with them. But I also know there are folks that are on the mountaintop, and Lord, we praise you for those times. But we come together as a body, folks in the valley and folks on the mountaintop. We come just needing you, and we just lean on that, Lord. And Lord, I pray through the words spoken, through the prayers prayed, through the songs sung, through the communion that will be given, Lord, that we experience you. We experience your grace and your mercy and your sweet voice to us, reminding us that we are yours. Lord, we come to this, and we know that you hear our prayers, Lord. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I met with a group of pastors this past Wednesday. Um, been meeting with these guys for a couple, three years now. We meet once a month. Usually we do it on Zoom, but this past uh, Wednesday we met for breakfast. And it's just, I, I love these guys. These are, these are pastors mostly from bigger churches than ours, and they've been doing pastoring for way longer than, than I do. And they, all of them, they seem like they have their act together way, way more than me. You know, I'm just trying to keep the, the wheels on the tracks. But these guys, they just seem to have it together. But, but I love these guys. I love these guys. And we come together once a month to, 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 to share what's going on, good or bad, in our church. We pray for each other. We share stuff that's going on in our personal lives. And it's just powerful. 
And I, I don't know if you've heard the expression middle of the night friends, um, but there's a couple of these guys that are middle of the night friends for me that I could call them up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I, I need help or I need prayer or I need some advice on how to step on this. And I, I think all of us, if, just be thinking in the back of your mind, if you have middle of the night friends and if you don't, you need to get some. My wife will volunteer to be your middle of the night friend. Um, her number is, <laughs> no, um, but just the importance of having middle-of-the-night friends, having important people you can lean on. Um, and this, um, um, I shared with this group this past Christmas season had been really t- tough on me. I, I ran, uh, before the end of the month, I ran out of zip in my doodah, if you will. Um, and I remember sharing with you guys around Thanksgiving that, man, I was so grateful for the call back from my 20-minute retirement. I was so grateful and thankful for to, to come back. But, but I, I lost some of that enthusiasm over Christmas. And I'm not complaining. I didn't let my wife look at this because she would say, yes, you're complaining. But I tell you now, I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, but, but after five messages or five sermons, two special services, three really... Um, difficult deaths in our church. Um, it was tough December. And plus, I tried to squeeze a wedding in between services on Christmas Eve. You know, you would think I would, I would never do that, but I'll never do that again. I'll just say that, okay? <laughs> but I shared with this group, group of pastors back on, on, on uh, Wednesday this week. It was, when I came back to work on Tuesday, it was just like, ugh. And, and anybody feel like that when they came back after maybe the, the holidays? It was just ugh. And and I had, again, I had lost some of my zip and my doodah. And one of the other pastors said, yeah, me too. Yes, ugh, ugh. Um, but one of the other pastors, Gary, um, he tried to cheer us up. He shared his thoughts on what it means to be a pastor. And Gary has been a pastor. I think right after Jesus left, he became a pastor. He's been around a long time. Um, he, says, he says to us, and he's trying to, be, trying to cheer us up, trying to cheer all of us up. Um, he says, it's a horrible job. Being a pastor, it's a horrible job. Who would want this job? The hours are horrible. You're always on call. You never get to turn it off. You work with some great people, but you work with some that are not so great. The work is never done. The pay is not that great. But, 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 but. It's more than a job. It's a calling. Um, And every mom in the room is saying, hey, stop complaining. That's just like being one of us. It's like being a mom. (laughs) But me and one of the other pastors who was struggling, we told Gary, out. You're no longer invited to this this group of pastors. Um, but, but I was hanging with that group of pastors um, on Wednesday. But you could fill in the job title with a bunch of other titles. Nurse or teacher, caregiver, social worker, fast food worker, UPS driver, motor vehicle clerk, mom for sure, accountant during t- tax season. You fill in the blank. Somehow God has tapped each of us on the shoulder and called us to come follow me, to come follow Jesus. And our calling, this calling for me to be a pastor, your calling, whatever that might be, we all have different callings. But I believe we're all called by God to do our parts. And, you know, St. Paul, to the folks in Corinth, he talks about the body, the body of Christ, that there are many parts, but together, we are all together. And we're the body, the body of Christ. Um, We're going to look at some of this stuff this morning. But uh, point number one, if you're taking notes, and remember, you always get extra credit if you take notes at church. And my joke, my bad joke is you'll get there faster and you'll get there easier if you take notes at church. But point number one, if you're taking notes, God's call on ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God's call on ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. 
And if you've been with us for a while, we, we, uh, uh, before we started talking about Christmas stories in December, we were looking at the, uh, the book of Mark, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we started in September, and we're only midway through chapter 3. So if you're new with us, you know, you can catch up real quick, okay? Um, but we're looking at Mark's gospel this morning. Mark chapter 3, starting with, the, with, with verse 13. And I ask you to listen carefully, for these are God's words. And they'll be up on the screen, they'll be in your sermon notes. Um, Again, Mark chapter 3, starting with the 13th verse. And the title, at least in my Bible, is Jesus Appoints the Twelve. Jesus Appoints the Twelve Apostles, uh, or Messengers. Um, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, twelve apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, or Rock, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Then there was Andrew, Peter's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. If you've been following along with us in the book of Mark, up until this story, we know only about, we know um, Jesus has chosen five folks, has called them specifically to follow him. There were the the two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. These are the fishermen. If you remember, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. And then the calling of Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, the one who most everyone despised because they were, tax collectors were considered cheats or traitors. But now we're introduced to the other seven. Um, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, of Doubting Thomas fame, another James, this one, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, another Simon, the one uh, they called the Zealot, and then Judas of Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. So four fishermen, one tax collector, and one called the Zealot, or a fanatic about some sort. Then six others, We don't know too much about any of them at this point. Other than the storyteller, Mark, he wants us to know this Judas of Iscariot, he's a bad egg. And if you've ever hired people, ever been in charge of hiring or firing people, one bad bad egg out of 12, one out of 12, that doesn't make the cut. That's that's really not, that doesn't sound so bad to me. I mean, my batting average is about one out of 10 being good. Um, But remember, this is Jesus, all-knowing Jesus, Fully man Jesus, but fully God Jesus. And Jesus knows how this will eventually play out. How this will play out with Judas. Yet he looks him in the eyes. And with all the love the world can hold, Jesus says to Judas, come follow me. And Judas does. And those of you who have read the gospel stories before, you know you learn more about these folks. And you learn that these folks are human, just like us. You learn about their believing yet doubting about their following yet denying, about their courage one minute and cowering um, in fear the next. But most of all, most of all, we'll learn about the love of God in and through Jesus towards these men and towards us. And what love really looks like even in the face of death. God's call on ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God's call on broken, sinful, hurting, hurtful people to do extraordinary things, God things, amazing things, Jesus-like things, 
God's calling us, you and me. And point number two, if you're taking notes, God's calling us is not about us, it's about God. God's call on us is not about us, it's about God. God's call on us, God's call in us, God's call to us is not usually what we want, but it's always about, always about what God wants. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. It's not about our power or might or good looks or personality. It's about God's power working in and through us. I want to fuss with this text just a little bit, a couple, three things to wrestle with about the gospel story, this, this story of the apostles' calling. Then I want to introduce you to some folks, some ordinary folks who are trying to live out God's calling on their, their lives, some ordinary folks doing some extraordinary things. But I want to look at the uh, first part of verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside. Um, Jesus went up on a mountainside. Jesus loved people. But at times, I know he needed to get away from people, away from the distractions, away from the crowds. And he went to the mountains. I go to the mountains too to do that. Maybe some of you guys do too. I have a mug that says it. The mountains are calling, so I must go. Um, We've been seeing in these first three chapters of Mark's gospel, folks are attracted to Jesus. He's a big deal. He's teaching with authority. He's teaching with Shemika. And he's healing folks and driving out demons. And folks were coming from all over Israel to see him, to touch him, to be healed by him. Most of them, if not all of them, wanting something, something from Jesus. Jesus, at times, is needing to get away from the fray. And he heads to the mountains. Ever need to get away from the fray? Second part of verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. Jesus calls to him those he wanted. Jesus doesn't gather the big crowds around him and shout, okay, 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 who who wants to be an apostle? Any any volunteers, anybody want to be an apostle? And they're looking at him, I don't even know what an apostle is. Um, No, um, Jesus is not looking for volunteers. No, Jesus calls the folks he wants for reasons only maybe God truly knows. But, but maybe we can guess why the two sets of brothers, the four fishermen. I'm a fisherman. Fishermen know something about patience, about timing, about waiting for the right conditions, about always believing that the next cast, I'm going to catch the big one. Young men of hope, of strength, physical and emotional strength, maybe. And maybe the tax collector, his attention to detail. And in Matthew's case, especially if you've been watching any of the the, the series, The Chosen, his note-taking ability. He's writing down things as an eyewitness. And then there's Simon the Zealot, a fanatic, maybe fanatic about things that, that could have gotten him arrested back in the day. But maybe, maybe his zeal was for God. And Jesus was going to need some folks that had zeal, that had passion for something way bigger than themselves, for sure. Jesus chose the ones he wanted, each of them, we can imagine, with a place and a part in the ongoing story of Jesus and the ongoing sharing of the gospel. In the third part of verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus chose the ones he wanted, and they came. They said yes. When Jesus first called the two sets of brothers, when Jesus called Matthew, the the story says they all responded immediately. I mean, the the fishermen dropped their nets. Um, Matthew just got up from his tax collector booth and followed Jesus. It seems like there was not even a second thought. They left their previous careers and started this new one, following Jesus. 
watching Jesus, learning from Jesus, walking with Jesus, resting with Jesus, seemingly without as much as a second thought. They all said yes. And I'm not sure what the apostles were paid back in the day, but I'm guessing fishermen, tax collectors, zealots made a heck of a lot more money than apostles. But maybe, maybe, when Jesus, the Son of God, calls us directly, hey, Peter, hey, Andrew, hey, James, hey, John, hey, you, Matthew, maybe when Jesus calls us audibly by name, you just go. And maybe those second thoughts about what they had done and what they had really signed up for, maybe they would come later, further down the road. Maybe in the middle of the night when they were bone-tired, and woke up at 2 a.m., anxious about the next day or their next meal, when their brains wouldn't turn off and they were just worried, anxious. Maybe when things weren't going exactly how they thought they would go, when it got scary. God's call on ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Just looking at verse 14 and 15, Jesus, he pointed 12, the apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Drive out demons, not on their power, but on God's power. Again, there were hundreds of folks following Jesus. And, and maybe at times there were thousands of folks. But Jesus handpicks these 12. And going forward, these 12 would be with him consistently. They would walk with him. They would watch him more intimately, more privately than anyone else. And he would begin to train them up, model to them what love, what love looked like, begin to teach them to be an extension of him. Because at the end of the gospel story, he was going to hand these bunch of knuckleheads, he was going to hand these bunch of knuckleheads, he was going to hand them the keys and let them drive. Go, go. Now, go. Make disciples. Go be the church. And I love this quote from Mother Teresa. Um, not all of us, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with, with great love. And I just want to define extraordinary. Extraordinary to me is just when we do small things with great love. It doesn't have to be an apostle. It doesn't have to be a, a million things, but it can be those small things. It can be a smile to someone who looks just down in the dumps and you ask them, how are you doing? And they say, not so good. And you step into that with them. Or the clerk at Walgreens who is just so frustrated, they're ready to just tear their hair out. And you say, thank you for being here. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. From Mother Teresa. What does it mean to hear or sense the call of God? And this is point number three on your, on your outline. God's call on all of us. And if, you have, if you're taking notes, just underline all of us. There's no one excluded from this. God's call on all of us to have faith, to have faith and to serve. I believe, first off, God calls us to have faith and trust in Jesus. And the sincere and ongoing commitment, commitment to this faith, to this trust. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. And I need you. Kind of a surrendering. If you remember Jesus talking about the faith of a mustard seed. that we, Faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And maybe, and I always, I always counter this by, maybe if I have just a half of a mustard seed, and you have a half, maybe we can do church together and we can move the mountains. Secondly, I believe God's call to us is to do service in Jesus' name. What, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has a place of service for you and I. 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. I will follow you. Where you lead, I will go. It may not be where I want to go, but if it's you, where you want me to go, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I've shared this with some of you folks before. I, I believe someday when, when we meet our Heavenly Father, God's going to ask us two questions. Just two questions. What did you do with my son Jesus? Number one, what did you do with my son Jesus? And number two, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? Number one, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did, did you accept him or reject him? Or did you just ignore him and just say, well, maybe later when, it, when t- time is right, I'll connect with him. Did, what did you do with my son Jesus? And number two, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? Did you, did you share them? Did you use your powers, your God-given powers for good? Or did you, did you hoard them? Did you, do them? did you hold on to them selfishly, white-knuckle them? I'm not giving this to anybody. This is mine, 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 mine. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And what did you do with the gifts I gave you? And point number four, um, if you're taking notes, when God calls us to do something, I believe God will equip us. When God calls us to do th- something, I believe God will equip us. Um, that Ephesians 3 text. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more um, than I can think or imagine, according to his power, according to his power, God's power that is at work within us. And I believe that's in every one of us. And we may have to work at it when God calls us to do something. We may have to get additional training. We may have to go back to school. We may have to move two or three or five times to get it right. We may have to find a mentor who's done it before that we can go to and ask them, how did you do it to show us the way? But I believe God will give us a way. We really have to trust him on this. One of my favorite texts, one of the first texts I ever memorized, um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, him and he will make straight your paths. He will help you figure it out. Trust God in that. And AA's mantra, and I've just fallen in love with this lately, I can't, God can, I think I will let him. I can't, God can, I think I will let him. And that's about surrender. Um, And that old adage, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. God's call on ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I'm going to call up my friends, the church family friends, the Miami family, Umkolisi and Erica. Erica. Erica, when she was just a kid, she used to work here at the church as a youth pastor. Can we give these guys just a warm welcome? Um, Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Um, They were running a little late this morning, and I thought I was just going to have to fake this. I was going to talk to pretend on my any family. I'm going to give you guys the microphone, and we'll share the microphone. Um, But if I could kind of, you guys sit down and relax a little bit, as much as you can in front of a couple hundred people um, and some folks online. Can I ask you guys, uh, first off, I'm going to guess you did not meet on a dating app. And these guys are married. You did not meet on a dating app. Can you share how you guys met? Um, Good to see those of you who I know. Um, I was here at South Suburban until 2009. And when I went over to Swaziland, which is also known as Eswatini, um, the place where I was leading a team was right next to his family's homestead. So 
I met him in 2009, but served with his whole family while he was living away. So I kind of dated his family before I dated him. <laughs> Maybe there's some, some goodness that comes out of that. Um, um, Umkalisi, if I'm saying your name right, Umkalisi. Um, Erica taught me how to say it the other day properly because I there's a lot of word, letters in there that just don't make sense to us English-speaking guys. But welcome. Um, did, when did you guys know that you were going to love on each other and get married? And I would love to hear Umkalisi to share that. Um, good morning, church family. Um, it was after we, we talked and prayed about it for a long time, and it turned out that what was going on in my heart is what was going on in her heart, so that's where we felt like God is in it, so we're going to do it. What, what, what reservations from either family about marrying someone from Swaziland or Eswatini, you marrying someone from the States, was there any reservations from your family? Um, actually, because she had served in the community and they really loved her, they saw the love of Jesus in her, and that was even more exciting for that reason that she knew Jesus, she loved Jesus, and she was all in to save Jesus, so they were excited. They, they were in, they were in. Erica? No, um, just in God's providence, my mom actually met him two years before we started dating. Wow. Um, and just through teams that I had led, different friends of mine had met him. So um, when we told people that we were praying about a relationship and the future, um, people weren't surprised and they were excited for us. Wow. So. Our, our church has been partners for their ministry for the last couple of years. We, I think we've been praying for you since the beginning, but financially we entered into an arranged, just an agreement with you guys. That we want to love you guys every month. We, we try to love on these guys financially. Uh, what's in Begili, if I said that correct? God is faithful. Is that what it stands for? Can you share, you know, this, the message this morning is about um, God's call on ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Can you share just what God has been calling you to do these last years? Um, so we were both serving with a different nonprofit over in Swaziland, and God was just really burdening our heart for ministry to look differently. Um, Swaziland is a place of extreme physical poverty, um, the highest HIV rate in the world, which led to an orphaned and vulnerable children crisis. Um, there's the generation from 25 to 50 is pretty much missing. Wow. And so you've got grandparents raising grandchildren. Um, so physical poverty, um, but then also theological poverty. The Bible has only been in Siswati since 1996. And so at best, you're getting first-generation biblically literate Christians. And so um, God burdened our hearts, our hearts to just see those needs being met through the local church. A lot of other nonprofits, it was kind of addressing the needs, and if we get to churches later, that's great. But we were like, no, and Khaleesi would always say, if the local church was healthy, they would be taking care of their communities, and there wouldn't be a need for all these nonprofits. So we started Wait Sembegile back in 2016, and our vision is to see healthy Swazi churches reaching and taking care of their own communities. How did you come up with the name, Wait Sembegile? It had been something that I'd been putting on support letters. So if you have the old Erica Zeiler magnets, you see Wait Sembegile on there. Um, mm -hmm. It was just a word in Siswati that stuck out to me, just reminding me of God's faithfulness. Um, and as we started a ministry over there, we knew that we wanted something that meant something to the Swazi people. Um, we didn't want them to have to learn an English word or to practice some random 
you know, English um, saying. And so we said, you know, we wanted something that every time they go to get water from one of our wells or the kids go to the community center or they see a t-shirt, it literally is reminding them God is faithful. And so our hope is that they're not remembering us, but they're remembering God's faithfulness. What was the call to start Wetson Begule the same for both of you? I mean, were you guys uh, in sync or was one more than the other and come along? How did that, how did that play out? It was really clear because, as we were saying, that we served with this one nonprofit before, mm-hmm. and we felt right away that things need, they, they, they did a great job, but we felt like God was calling us to do it differently than the way they were doing it. So, being the church, reaching and taking care of the needs, and if you can remember back in the Bible, um, the first church where the saints were bringing stuff into the church and it was distributed evenly amongst those who were in need. So that was our bigger picture of like, this is what ministry has to look like. Um, as we were talking about this question beforehand, we both can point back to a certain home visit. Um, home visits are things in Swaziland where you can literally show up at someone's house unannounced. You don't have to text them. You don't have to schedule it. You don't have to do anything. Um, and they'll invite you to stay, and sometimes you'll be there for a couple of hours. And there was this girl, Tola Gele, that was really, really sick with HIV. Um, and our other ministry that we were working with had helped her get some medical care and things, but then we knew that she was coming to the end of her life. And so we went with a couple of our ministry interns to her homestead and um, were invited into the room where she was. And she was really, really close to the end of her life, um, laying on a bed, had a shower curtain underneath her, shallow breathing. You know, we thought, okay, she's going to pass away while we're right here. Mm. And we just started sharing some scriptures just as the Lord led. We had a couple that we had planned ahead, but then the Lord just led us. And as we started sharing scripture, different people from her family and the neighbors came over. And so all of a sudden we're in this room about the size of the tech booth back there. And there's probably 12 or 15 people in there. And the way that we both describe it, um, just the way it was working that day logistically, I was speaking in English and Cleesey was just translating and expanding on the things I was saying. And the Holy Spirit just spoke through both of us. And for us both that day, we was kind of a clarity of this is what ministry should look like. You know, it's, it's one thing to work for an organization, to, to work for somebody else. But when you started Wetsambigili, that was you guys on your own. How scary was that? Number one, and did you have some fans in, in, in the background cheering you on saying you can do this? Um, yeah, it was, it was scary. I mean, just because we're not under a denomination, under an organization, um, we don't fit the mold of a lot of missions agencies in America. And the area that we're serving in, there is only really one or two other organizations. And so um, it was really scary stepping out on that and moving our family. Our family is over there. Our three kids, the reason we were late today, we did not bring our three kids with us today. Um, Simeon is five, Nomsa is three, and Zyler is one. Um, And so they're at their aunt's. But just that... um, Moving your family overseas is one thing, living in a developing country, but then realizing, okay, as we start this nonprofit, it's on us and our board. You know, our financial support, it's on us and our board to raise um, our mental health and our spiritual care is on our board and us. Um, And so there was a lot of 
I guess, evaluation beforehand to say, okay, is this the best way to do it? But in order to do what we felt like God was calling us to do in that part of Swaziland, it was really the only way. And God has been so faithful, Waits and Begile, um, along the way in providing encouragers and confirmation of that call through church partners, through my family being supportive, um, through community leaders in Swaziland that have been supportive. And so it's kind of been, you know, we often say that we just feel like we're in the front row watching what God's doing. Yes, yes. So. Can, can you share, just maybe from a thousand feet up, what, what some Begele ministry, what they cover? You guys do a lot of things, from sharing the gospel but to, to being the gospel. Um, we have three community centers where the community gave us volunteers Wetsambegile provide the food and the volunteers cook for the kids six days a week. And there we also started discipleship where we just kind of like started planting the seeds of like uh, what Christ wanted the kids to be as they grow up. And then we moved on to start doing Bible studies where we meet with different people from the communities and share the gospel with them. Wow. Wow. Go ahead. It's really just, I mean, it's everything addressing the physical and spiritual poverty. So we've done everything from building houses to helping with medical care to um, digging wells. We have several child-led homesteads that we walk alongside where the parents have passed away. Um, but So there's an older sibling or an aunt on the homestead taking care of kids. So we've walked alongside those. And then the, we're starting, now that we're there full time, we're starting to dig into the spiritual needs more too. I know a family from our church came to see you guys last, last year. What, what was it like? And maybe you've had other families come over to, to be with you, watch you, experience what, you, with what you're doing. What was that like for you when folks from the States came to be with you guys? It's always encouraging to have people from the States to us as missionaries on the ground and to the communities as well because it's one thing for them to hear from us that Jesus loves them, but to hear from their brothers and sisters apart from us, it's just taking it to another level. And the great experience that we had with them when, we, when they were there, we did one of the home visits, and God just moved in an amazing way. And that experience like, was just great. You know, I, I think in any call from God, you know, and you guys, I, I want to say you're extraordinary, but you're ordinary people as well. Um, broken, just like all of us. Did you ever want to just say enough? You know, you guys did this, launched this in 2016, but you were doing it in 2020 during, during COVID. And COVID was not just here, it was around the world. Can you share any, a time that you, that you maybe thought, maybe this is, this is it's time to, to hang it up? Um, as we were talking about this one beforehand, we said, thankfully, we haven't had those moments at the same time. Yes. So yes. when one of us feels that way, the other one can <laughs> remind us of our calling. But I think the biggest thing is just as we've had each child, um, we've kind of said, okay, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth yeah. giving up the, um, the American life? You know, not yeah. the, not the Chick-fil-A and all that, but the hey, music hey, hey, lessons. Don't, don't knock Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> but, but go ahead. But the things like music lessons, youth group, um, having yes. other mentors, you know, where we're at, there's not a healthy church yet. And so um, 
our worship this last year has been going to different Swazi churches on Sunday mornings and then doing church online because of the time difference with an American church. So for us, I think the times when we're tempted to give up, it's kind of those questions are, is this the best thing for our children? Um, But also, you know, sometimes when we take our eyes off of God. I liked what you said about the call is, you know, we're serving God because if we look to the people we're serving and we're frustrated because they're not saying thank you, they're not helping out, they're not appreciative, it can be discouraging. But when we remind each other and we're reminded of God's call on us, then that helps us to persevere in those times. Can I share, and I've got to watch the time a little bit, Um, maybe a last question. Um, if, If we have folks in our church that are maybe sensing a call from God, Ordinary people being called to do extraordinary things. What would be your counsel? And, and maybe not be missionaries in Eswatini or Swaziland, but to do something that they know is a stretch. What, what, what would be your counsel? And I'd love to hear from both of you guys on that. Um, I would say just get started. Um, you know, whether it's moving to Africa or if it's serving your neighbors, you know, before I was on staff here, I was just worshiping here um, Mm -hmm. and I felt a call to ministry. And so that was kind of the first step I took was, okay, I'm going to start serving in ministry. And then as time went, I was spending all my vacation time on mission trips. And the Lord was like, you know, maybe start preparing for some overseas stuff. So um, we talk a lot about, I never say the saying right, but it's hard to turn a ship that's not moving. And so you're not going to have your call all figured out until you actually start serving. So if you feel called to serve another people group, to serve cross-culturally, we're in Denver. You can find most likely someone close to that ethnic group here. So start getting, serving where you're at. Um, And if it's, you know, praying for your neighbors before going and starting a conversation, just start doing something and God will use that and he'll direct your steps as you go. Um, tying it to, the, to today's sermon, God, when he's calling people, he equips those he has called. He yes. cannot call you into something and not give you what you need for what he's calling you to do. Maybe that fear of, like, do I jump in? What's going to happen if I fail? Yes. Or, like, do I have what it takes? Like, I remember when he was sending the disciples... He said, carry nothing, like, just go. Yes. So if that is your fear of, like, do I have what it takes? Yes, you do. You just need to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Like, as I feel the calling that you called me, I trust and believe that you will give me what it takes to get it done. Awesome. How can we, how can we pray for you guys as a church? Um. We trust the Lord to lead in a lot of ways. Um, But you can pray just for um, our spiritual health and growth. Like we said, there's not a local church there. And so um, we have a few close friends there that are believers. um, But it gets really hard because the spiritual battle is so thick and intense over there. Um, So just pray for our spiritual lives and our children's spiritual lives too. Um, Pray that they would see past the ugliness of nonprofit ministry and see God for the glorious man and the glorious God that he is. Um, Pray for that. And then just pray for the Lord to provide. You know, we stand back amazed at what God has done in seven years during a pandemic 
um, and just how the Lord has been faithful to burden the hearts of people around the world yes. to give to what he's doing in Swaziland. So just pray for um, that continued provision and the continued um, guidance as we start to dream more about the future. Pray that we would walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Let, let me pray for you guys right now. And if you guys feel comfortable, if you guys could just extend some arms and let me pray for you guys. I'll put you guys up front. Let me just lay hands on you guys. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just uh, I pray for that microphone. Um, Lord, I, I, I pray for this, this dear couple. Lord, I pray for their faith journey. Lord, I pray for their provision. And Lord, I pray for their kids. And Lord, I pray as they just get ready to go back again, Lord, I pray they'll go back with confidence and trust that your blessing is all over this. And Lord, it just every time they take a step in faith, um, Lisi's words just jump in and Erica's words just jump in. You are there right there to catch them. Lord, I pray just your sweet, sweet blessing upon this dear, dear family. Pray all these things in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Can we give these folks a warm... Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you so much. Um, you know, we, we were supporting a ministry in Africa a while back, but we sort of lost connection with the people. And just a couple years back, we had uh, an opportunity to connect with Erica and Umkulisi, and it's just been a blessing to us so far. So um, we're going to, um, we've invited them to our, our faith talks dur- during services at, at 1015. You guys are more than welcome to, uh, to that. We're going to do that in the, in the fellowship hall. Um, but just um, God's call to ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And one of the challenges I threw out there, if you're taking notes, what would you do, what would you do? Especially if it's God's call. This is not like skiing off the roof. But what would you do if you weren't afraid? And it's one of my favorite, uh, I steal it from some author. Um, What would you do if you weren't afraid? Um, Because I think any type of calling, there's always that fear part. That's like, I'm not... I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. I'm not the person. I, I, I got that wash from somebody else. But what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I just want to end the message today with, um, with these words. These are, these are words. One of my, um, I've got this on my desk that's on a, on a framed, um, um, just, it's, a, it's a part of a quote, part of a, a, part of a, a, part of a quote from, from Teddy Roosevelt. And I'm going to ask you guys if we could say this together. If we could put that slide up. If we could say this together. This is from Teddy Roosevelt. It's 1910. But it talks about stepping in to our fear. If we could say this together. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. I love that quote. Um, There's another part that I didn't include. The last part of that speech was, 
so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Um, I love this quote from 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, God's power, and of love and self-discipline. DeMar Hamlin's question, did we win the game? Did we win the game? On the third day, DeMar wakes up and asks that question, did we win the game? On the third day, on that first Easter, those women go to the tomb. They hear from the tomb, it's empty, there's an angel. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he's not here. He is risen. For all of us who step out in faith, for all of us who believe, even if we have just a half a mustard seed, or maybe a twelfth of a mustard seed, for all of us who believe in this Jesus, we have won the game. We have won the game of life.